In this week's episode of Let's Talk About It, we're going to give our review of the movie Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. How are black Christians responding to this movie? And what does this movie invite us as the church to think about? And in our relationship segment, we're talking about cross-generational relationships. Why can they be so hard? And how can we have healthy relationships across generations? You're here. You've joined us. Let's talk about it. that time again another episode of let's talk about it my name is malcolm morgan and i'm micah morgan is it that's all you want to say (laughs) (laughs) i guess we didn't plan who was going to ask who how they're doing how are you doing today oh i'm doing all right (laughs) yeah man you know it's the weekend it's the time when most of our western culture allows us to rest yeah you know, the thing. Yeah, here and there. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? Doing all right. You know, it's been a, it's been a. We were recording this on the weekend. It's been a fun weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, church activities, social activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting ready for the week that is. The week that will be. Mm, it's like a philosophical question. <laughs> the week that is. Is it? Does your week start on Sunday or does it start on Monday? Is it philosophical or is it cultural? Because I think. Mm, I think it's both. Oh. Mm. <laughs> mm. So what are we talking about today, babe? Oh, you know, light stuff. Very light and fluffy stuff. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. This uh, this whole honk for Jesus, save your soul. It was it was very interesting watching it evolve on mm. Twitter. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like uh, in the beginning, I think a, a unanimous kind of excitement because mm-hmm. um, if if I'm correct, Jordan Peele has some his company his, produced it. Yeah, I think he's listed as a producer. Or as a producer, producer. yeah. So he's got some some involvement in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also just, just the content, like they were like, oh, okay, here we have a movie that looks like it's going to be doing some exploration of black Christendom. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course you had Sterling and Regina. So it was just like from the beginning, folks were like, oh, I have to see that. And then (laughs) maybe like the first two days that it was out, it was just like, very vague commentary that mm-hmm. at least I saw on my on my feed. Like, wow, that was that was that was wild, y'all. <laughs> and then that is when a lot of the black church, um, I think maybe like three days, four days out, began to, you know, voice some concerns, which we'll talk about today. You see an interesting thing with certain movies and television shows. There's a there's a window where there's there's the people that have seen the trailer and gonna go see the movie, mm-hmm. and then there are people that are waiting for somebody to like suggest the movie, <laughs> and then there's That's the people true. that are responding to the outrage or lack of outrage to go watch the movie. Indeed, indeed. And then you have your fourth group of people who I think are 
maybe the peacemakers or the folks that like to kind of tread in the middle mm-hmm. and try to pull out the nuance. And ain't nobody here for that, nobody, especially on Twitter. We want the extremes. <laughs> like, you, I mean, those 240 characters are not for nuanced conversation. They're for outrage and curated misunderstandings. <laughs> so, so, guys, this is your warning. If you have not seen the movie, we are going to spoil it for you. Yeah, quickly. Um, so... <laughs> If you need to leave, go leave, watch the movie, and come back. Mm-hmm. If not, if you don't care about spoilers, stay with sit us. Sit down, get comfortable, have a glass of whatever beverage you would like. Whatever beverage. And let's talk about this thing. Let's do it. So, Honk for Jesus um, is based off of, a, I believe, a short film. Um, I heard about it initially when the short film was in a film festival. I forget which one. Mm. Um, and the reaction to it was pretty... Um, pretty positive and pretty strong when it mm-hmm. happened. And so I immediately start looking to see, oh, when will I be able to see this? And then I saw that it got purchased and that Jordan Peele's company was going to be involved. I was already excited about the movie, but that made me more excited of about course. the movie. Um, and so then we kind of see the casting, um, Sterling K. Brown and um, Regina Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, perfect casting for this. Absolutely. I mean, come on. It doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> but the movie centers around... Um, a couple, First Lady Trinity Childs and Reverend Lee Curtis Childs Lee Curtis. of the, and I love this name, Wander to Greater Paths Church. <laughs> Whoever thought of that name. It's so perfect. Chef's kiss. That's what you get for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they are in the midst of a scandal. Yeah. A scandal. And this movie is essentially them shooting a documentary trying to show their comeback, mm-hmm. trying to give not really give their side of the story, but show their efforts to rehabilitate their image and return their former megachurch to its former glory. Mm, well said. Um, so, once again, spoiler, uh, Lee Curtis appears to be having relationships with young men that is either connected to the church or that he's meeting through the church, um, and they are not... And they are of sex of sexual nature, I guess. They don't really fully Yeah. They imply, but they they never really fully say what happened. And there's also this extra element of I guess he's fixated on, obsessed with purchasing them things. Yes. Um his whole, so, yeah, his whole thing is that I'm help I'm trying to help these young men yeah. and give them access. And so I don't want to get into that yet. There's one specific instance where we kind of see his, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how he does this. So yeah, it's it's definitely a grooming situation where he's taking these vulnerable young men who are in need of his help. And he uses that as an opportunity to take advantage of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where we want to start. I think where we want to start is there seems to be an immediate disagreement between, Mm. Trinity and Lee Curtis in Mm -hmm. terms of what the documentary is for, um, or at least what they want to accomplish through the documentary. Yeah. Um, So it very much seems like Lee Curtis really wants this to be his, his, you know, come back to glory opportunity Mm -hmm. for hopefully folks to, I guess, see the documentary and come back to wander to greater paths to see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is very vocal about folks coming to see him. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Whereas Trinity, it's it's interesting because there's some moments where she talks directly to Anita, the documentary director, who's, you know, behind the camera. So we never see Anita. We hear her voice a few times. Mm-hmm. But First Lady Trinity talks directly to Anita and tries to, like, level set with her a few yeah. times. Like, you know, can we can we talk about, like, what you're like, what we trying to do here? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's very interesting because she you can tell that she's taking a very strategic um kind of thoughtful even like um what's what's the phrase i'm trying to think of that she's trying to do some damage control through Uh the documentary um and that's very much not lee curtis he's he's trying to air out all the dirty laundry well not air out but he has no desire to like hide anything it seems well that's the that's one of the interesting things about the documentary or that they're once again, we're talking about what's happening within the movie. This is not a documentary. Mm-hmm, do not, mm-hmm. <laughs> please do not take this as a documentary. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> um, is that they really have a hard time. So you can tell that they have not dealt with the emotional baggage <laughs> and blowback from everything that has happened. So you're, one you're watching them deal with this in real time. Mm-hmm. And That's so a good point. whereas in a regular situation, you'll be doing this behind closed doors. You can do it privately they're trying to have private moments in front of cameras mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they just aren't fully understanding that, that that's the, once the documentary crew is here, this is what we're here to do. Yeah. So you saying cut means nothing. And that, that was so funny the way that it, it's, it's, it's very interesting because there's two layers of an experience happening in this movie, mm-hmm. right? So you can tell that the, the script writers of the movie itself, honk for Jesus they're playing with the the child's, you know, first lady and 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 pastor Reverend Childs, their very obvious disagreement mm-hmm. on healthy boundaries yeah. and when things should be private and when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to see how the the script writers of, of the movie itself are playing with that. Yeah. And then you can see within the movie Anita just has no, she has no, like, absolutely not. no compassion for the fact that Trinity and Lee Curtis are still trying to learn that within yeah. their relationship after this huge scandal. Mm-hmm. And, and there are moments where Trinity is like, uh, you know, we need to cut. And Anita's just like, okay. Okay. Sorry to hear that. <laughs> sorry, sorry to hear that. Sorry to this man. <laughs> sorry to this man. <laughs> so it's very interesting, those two layers yeah. that are happening at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. They, I think that's one of the arguments that they have. I think early on, like they, they are at the the breakfast table and kind of get ready mm. for the day. And she's like, "Are you sure that that's what we need to do?" She's, he's all about this is my this is our comeback. This is how we get back to where get it all back. We're gonna get everything back that we lost. And she's like, "I don't think that you really understand how unready we are for this." Mm-hmm. But Trinity did. Yeah, Trinity very much did, and. I just think it was masterful the way that there was there was some humor at the breakfast table in the beginning, mm-hmm. which I think we needed so that we could be eased into mm-hmm. really the emotional intensity of the movie that developed mm-hmm. from beginning to end. But even with that humor of, you know, Lee Curtis, a.k.a. Sterling, mm-hmm. being so oblivious to the risks of having this documentary team, yep. you could see Trinity really first trying to say it to him like yeah like are you sure and then as soon as he made it apparent that he wasn't going to try to actually have a thoughtful conversation about it you could see trinity pull back yeah emotionally and withdraw yeah which is 
totally understandable considering the the trauma for her of this whole situation. Yeah. I think one of the things that made has made the movie uncomfortable for a lot of people is that it really does play on that that tension. I mean, every mm. scene you could feel the tension <sighs> of the moment and in the tension between them yeah. because they're not in sync about. I mean, they're constantly <laughs> it's funny. They keep telling each other where we agree on this <laughs> while they're disagreeing about something oh my can we talk about the baptism <laughs> yes because that's, that's a exactly, primary example <laughs> that's exactly what i'm talking about so reverend childs proceeds to i guess i don't want to say the word stage mm-hmm. but he has this service mm-hmm. for uh himself First Lady, Trinity, and the Devout Five. Yeah, they're five They're followers. five members who who have stayed throughout this scandal. And, and by to, stayed, I mean they showed up for the service because they haven't been having church. That's, that's a good point. They have not been having service. Um, and during this staged service, Reverend Childs decides to Just disrobe. start stripping. Just... <laughs> And prepare himself for baptism, I guess. In front of everybody. In front of everybody. Um, So he walks up to the baptism pool and Trinity, First Lady Trinity, proceeds to baptize him. And, of course, lingers a little bit as she has him under the water. I think there's a little bit of of angst there. Great tension there. (laughs) A little bit of revenge. Great tension there. And so when when he rises out of the water, both of them, I guess, had agreed that they would pray and then say amen Uh at the same time. But... Uh, Reverend Child says, "I did he say amen?" He says amen, and she says amen. No, yeah, see, he he says amen because uh-huh. that's what all the Instagram uh-huh. preachers do, and Trinity says amen. Uh-huh. So this again is this very prime example of how the use of humor uh-huh. kind of coats over gently the tension of them being totally yes. on different. Yes, pages. and they talk about. I mean, they talk about it, and that's they're like. She's like, no, we agreed to this. Like, no, we got to say it like this. And then they just, she just kind of looks at him and says, we agree on this. We agree. <laughs> no, you do not. And then they do it again and still, <laughs> still both say, say what they, <laughs> and so then they're like, we're just going to cut. Can we just take that over again? And once again, Anita does yeah. not stop the cameras. <laughs> like, sure, you can declare as many times as you want that you want to cut. But that's not what kind of style this is. No, no. <laughs> Yeah, so just very all of that to say, I think I think the you know screenwriter and directors just did a really good job of of using those humorous moments to show that emotionally, Reverend Lee Curtis and First Lady Trinity are not on the same page. Mm-hmm. They are not processing this the same way. Yeah, I think another interesting di- to dynamic is look to, is to look at the Sumters, um, pastors because they're both pastors. They're both they, pastors. Interesting that they kept bringing that up constantly uh-huh. in the conversation but pastor shakura sakura sakura sumter and pastor keon sumter uh, what was the name of their church do you remember um i think it was heaven heaven's gate heaven's he- house heaven's house yep heaven's house um so they're kind of this up-and-coming church that was a prime place for all of the uh wander to greater paths members to go mm-hmm. when the scandal happened and they shut down the church yep. um and so you kind of see them be, them becoming kind of the up and coming ministry in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, all those members are coming there, but it's this really interesting dynamic of it brings to light that clearly you look at Lee Curtis and and Trinity. There's a clear pastor first lady hierarchy there. Very, yeah, very. But but with them, they're very open about this being a co pastor situation. Mm-hmm. We both preach. We both have leadership here. Mm-hmm. And that creates some interesting dynamics within them because I think I, I think 
one of the unspoken things is that Trinity looks at that and says, I'm a little bit jealous of that. Oh, absolutely. I'm a little jealous of that. And then on top of that, they're taking their members in not so uh <laughs> not so subtly doing it in front of their face. <laughs> Look, Shakura, she the 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 ways in which <laughs> she verbalized her apathy about this this situation it it was it was masterful um so i know you know for twitter folks black twitter in particular they were uh celebrating the fact that this was our beloved um oh goodness what is her name oh nicole oh how do you pronounce her last name bahari i think from uh black mirror she's from black mirror she man look it was it was so funny because uh, what I saw was some of Black Twitter being like, "Dag man, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad she was able to, to you know, make a comeback after that." <laughs> if you haven't seen, I think it's in the latest, se- the last season of yeah. Black Mirror, first Woo! first episode, I think first episode, yep. with um, Anthony Mackie, cheekbones, yeah, yes. yeah, yes. well, she has nice cheekbones. It's true. That's that's all we see when we see him. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, so that that was funny. Just the the unanimous support of her uh, uh, from <laughs> from black dogged out on the on Black Mirror, on black and now she has a church a church and a new <laughs> husband. Uh, so anyway, it's very interesting to see between uh, her and Keon. Keon was still very much smitten with Reverend Childs mm-hmm. and uh, First Lady Trinity, whereas Shakura was like. Look, man, it's rough, <laughs> you know, but we're going to be here to catch these members. Though. Mm, right. We really pray for them and that God's got them. But anybody that's ready to come over to uh, exactly over with us. Come exactly. On with it. So I thought it was interesting to see that that generational interplay between the two, because it was a clear symbolism for, you know, kind of Gen X slash boomer mm-hmm. um, black church culture. Yeah. And then millennial black church culture for the Sumters Mm -hmm. and how even within millennial black church culture, there's kind of a dichotomy where there's a lot of folks who still very much, yeah, just openly revere and appreciate and even emulate, um, you know, older black church leaders. But then there is a, a, another subset within the millennial black church culture. That's kind of like, you know, Hey, we're, we're confident in our gifting and we're moving forward with some unique ideas and, yeah, we appreciate you, but we're not going to necessarily worship you. Yeah. I think that's another thing that it represents too is the to not to not want to feel like you're being passed by or passed over. Mm. Like Lee Curtis is is really in this mind frame of I'm I'm going to get everything back. We're going to get get it back to what it was. Yeah, yeah. Before um I'm going to get this moment back. Mhm. And the Sumters are, you know, the flavor of the month. They're the hot pastors. Yeah. People are gravitating toward them. They're young. They model a different kind of ministry that women, that where women have more, you know, we don't know the inner workings of the church, but but more authority and more. I think they're agency. making it obvious that it's egalitarian. Yeah, yeah. And so I think for Lee Curtis, he just doesn't he he doesn't want to believe that the, that his time may have passed. On, on top of leave the the moral stuff out of it he doesn't want to be seen as oh the moment has passed me but i think to to skip to something that happens later in the movie when one of his accusers confronts him in the street he says we're all good without you we don't need you anymore this city doesn't need you anymore we're done with you yeah khalil did not pull any punches 
which I just want to make it plain. I don't think he should have pulled any punches because mm-hmm. I think what the movie was hinting at was that he was one of the victims right. of mm-hmm. Reverend Childs. Yeah. And so seeing him confront Reverend Childs and just have this very understandable and earned assertiveness mm-hmm. and even aggression, yeah. like just, just, just to come and face Reverend Childs and be able to say, you know, we, we don't need you. Like mm-hmm. you, you think we do, but this city has been fine without you. Yeah. And it was it was really it was sad to see how still emotionally disengaged Reverend Childs yeah. was because he of course responds instead of with you know a, a repentant silence yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> which would have been appropriate he starts patronizing Khalil yeah. and basically saying like well you know it's, it's I, I tried to save you but but you were beyond my saving mm-hmm. and Khalil very you know fervently said f you mm-hmm. and it's really just this this moment of once again seeing that reverend childs just has not fully processed exactly no. what he did yeah which is what i wanted to talk about um another moment where he's in his office alone with anita and the crew mm-hmm. and you see him kind of justifying out loud uh, elements of the scandal mm-hmm. and one of the things he says was you know i i think my I'm, I'm not a criminal but that i just love too much yeah and it's yep. it's it's so interesting because this this once again shows that he just does not understand that he's abused his power mm-hmm. and that the act of abusing your power in and of itself was mm-hmm. the crime it yep. wasn't like you of course okay so if your motivations were generosity you still overstep boundaries. You still manipulated and, and intimidated young black men yeah. into, you know, romantic relationships with you. That, yeah, that is criminal. Yeah. But he just really was not, he wasn't, he wasn't getting it. Yeah. I think you could see very, very clearly that they, he, oh, I, I, I struggle to call what we watched a plan, but he had mm. a, he had a real rehabilitation plan, but he did not have a, uh, a restoration plan uh, like to really confront what he did take ownership take responsibility and, and make the steps to be a better person yeah. his goal his primary and sole goal was to restore what he lost and get back to where he was yeah, yeah. and so the whole movie you just see him trying to put on the show thinking that he can cover up for all the wrong that he's done and all the work that he has refused to do on the inside. And you mm. see Trinity wrestling with that more than he is even like really trying to like get to the core of what's wrong, but he is solely focused on, I need to fix, I need to fix my image so we can get back to where we want to be. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is indicative of a lot of the ways that we as Christians and as people can, can look at these problems thinking, how can I fix my image? Not what do I need to fix? That's broken within me. Mm. And I, I mean, I do appreciate you saying that just just as people, we do that, mm-hmm. right? Like when when we do something wrong, the 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 vulnerability that it takes to say, I have harmed somebody mm-hmm. and not only do I need to make it right with them, but but it, it may be appropriate for me to step back from spaces of influence yeah. while I do that. Yeah, that's really that's hard. Yeah. And. That doesn't excuse the fact that he refused to do it, but I'm just acknowledging that like it takes a lot of emotional maturity to do that. And I think one of the things the movie pointed out was that Reverend Childs did not have that emotional maturity. No. 
It's rough. Yeah. Um, I think the other the other scene I wanted to talk about, I refer, I alluded to it earlier, was the scene. Um, it it appears that this is kind of in an off moment for the documentary. I think one of the interesting things the show does is you you have a hard time telling what is the documentary mm. and what is the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there's this kind of moment where it seems like everything is kind of wrapping up for the days in the gym with one of the sound guys. Oof. And he starts having this conversation with him. Um, and you, at first you're kind of like, okay. But then it really starts to become uncomfortable because he starts, he he takes off his, he's in a, you know, a, a suit jacket and pants and dress shoes and they're in a gym. So he takes off the suit jacket and starts shooting baskets. Mm-hmm. And he starts asking him about being in sound and the, and you know how much he enjoys his job, and then oh, well, you know I, I work with you know once we get the church back, I'd love to get you working here and doing all this, doing stuff for the church, and you know I, I know all the big producers I can get you connected, and the guy kind of is like, it's it's kind of like he's taking it back, like oh you're really you're, you're doing this right you're now. doing this right now, yep, and Look. so you can already see kind of his pattern. For how he is grooming and ingratiating himself to these young men, um, offering them something that he feels like they will want. Mm-hmm. Um, and you start to see how it can be really easy as a person in power to use that power. Yeah. And but use it in a way that you can justify it in your mind as, oh, I'm I'm giving them something, they're gonna be better for being connected to me. Man, man. So I for me. What I want to celebrate is that, you know, who I I forgot to look up who wrote this script, but um, this was just a very, I don't want to say this. I, my hope is that when people saw that scene, Mm -hmm. that they saw what was being offered to us Mm -hmm. because for the rest of, of the, of the movie, like outside of that moment, you could very well speculate about, okay, I mean, did, did Reverend Childs really? And there were even, you know, there was a moment in the movie too where they had some snippets from a radio uh, radio show where mm-hmm. people were calling in and being like, I don't, I don't believe anything, you know, about mm-hmm. what happened. You know, Reverend Childs is good. So there's a tension in the rest of the movie mm-hmm. that, that raises questions about how legitimate the claims were. Mm-hmm. But then you have this moment in the gym yep. where the scriptwriter really pulls focus and just lets the moment linger Mm -hmm. and you really see these grooming behaviors that like you said they can seem they can seem innocent Mm -hmm. but you see the ways that reverend childs is shifting the power dynamic and and intimidating Mm -hmm. um you know this and it's an adult man right but he's in a position of power because he's he's the he's the pastor you know assumedly paying the documentary to do this you know the crew so he's in a position of power and so this crew member was now in a position where he had to assert himself against a prominent you know religious leader who Mm -hmm. was paying his paycheck right Mm -hmm. so there's all of these nuances that I think the the scriptwriter really let breathe yeah. in that mo- in that yeah. moment. Yeah. So let's let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about some of the reaction to the movie and, and kind of the larger mm. larger thoughts. So we did see a lot of, I think, varied reaction from yeah. from Black Church Twitter. I guess we can call it. <laughs> um, so, what do you think were some of the reasons that that Black Church Twitter may have responded negatively to this movie? Oh man. The the thing that I cannot ever 
forget to acknowledge is the fact that the black church has historically been the safe haven mm-hmm. for black folks in America mm-hmm. and con- and continues to be mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. And so that's the first thing that, that I really want to hold on to as I'm kind of seeing the varied reactions to the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because if we remember that, then we have a better a, a better chance of understanding the the outrage and the discomfort with the movie. Because essentially what it feels like for a lot of folks, I think, is that the movie was beating up on mm-hmm. a, a you know, a saving grace for yeah. us historically. You mm-hmm. know, the black church was crucial. It, it, I mean, it was birthed out of chattel slavery. You know, mm-hmm. we... African slaves were not permitted to to worship in the spaces that their slave masters worshiped yeah. in. And so they had to create a faith of their own that was built on this idea that God is on the side of the oppressors. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the birth of the black church. The birth, mm-hmm. the black church got us through uh, the civil rights movement. Like this is, this is a, a gem, right. That the black community holds. And so to see the way that the movie just really unabashedly, talked about this this issue um mm-hmm. you know of of scandals in the black church it hurt mm-hmm. and and so i for me that's one of the reasons that i want to kind of hold in my mind yeah you know that, that folks are really hurt about um but i also think on the other side of things right there have been a lot of a lot of black folks who you know were, grew up in the black church i also grew up in the black church and you know, folks have had some some tough times, mm-hmm. um, and for them, I think the movie felt validating. Mm. Um, and so, you know, there between those two groups, there was really a lot of what I saw a lot of kind of tension, right? That on the one side, you have folks saying, you know, this is incredibly inappropriate, this is irreverent, you know. I'm not watching this. I'm not supporting this. Mm -hmm. But in the other side, there were folks saying, but no, this, this movie pulled out some really important things that we actually need to talk about. And that's not us saying that, um, you know, speaking for this, this other side of of black folks, that's not us saying that the movie was like a commentary on all black churches, but it did pull out some things that have been familiar to a lot of folks. So Mm -hmm. can we at least talk about it? Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the so to me that's some of the disappointing part of the of the discourse is that it either applies to all churches or mm. we we can't apply it to any exactly um and I think you know it obviously it, it's not a it's not for every it's not about every church every Mm-mm. church isn't like that every pastor isn't like that i I'm a living witness no. that every pastor and church is not like that absolutely not um but it has i think it's forced it should be forcing us into having some tough conversations about some of the things mm. um and and yeah some of the things that we allow in church culture and that we have just accepted and let mm. roll and let run like i remember um i'm thinking about I, I wish i could remember the show but this guy gets into an argument with a with another parent because he makes fun of his son the guy makes fun of his son and then they kind of get in an argument. He can't really understand why. She's like, well, what did you do? Mm. She said, well, he made a joke about his son and we laughed. I made a joke about my son and we laughed. And then I made a joke and then he got upset. He's like, so you don't see that you can make fun of your son. He can make fun of his son. 
but you can't make fun of his son. Mm. And so I think part of that, you know, part of that in this example is we shouldn't be criticizing this, Mm. this thing that, that we love, that birthed us, that shaped us, that formed us. How dare we, Mm. how dare we even act like this is an imperfect place? Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of people in the black church because we hold it so dear, because we hold it so tight. Mm -hmm. Um, Even for me, I, I have a lot of difficulty having good critical conversations because I'm afraid that people will look at that and say, oh, you hate the black church, yeah. which is far from the truth. The black the black church made me. I'm not who I am without, without the black church. Yeah, man. Um, but there are some things that I wish we could critique and fine tune and work on and be willing to have those tough conversations about. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean... I, you know, I, I just want to acknowledge the hard emotional space, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you feel protective over the things that you love. Yes. Um, yes. But I, I guess what I wish is that, you know, healthy, curious discourse and even discourse that, that, that holds, holds people with power within the black church accountable Mm -hmm. that that wouldn't be seen as inherently harmful. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my mind, we, we critique and and we call folks to, you know, growth because we love them. Yeah. Um, And so I get, yeah, I really do. I feel sad about that because I think we really, we, we miss out on listening to folks who, who are, are essentially saying like, look, yeah, I know the movie was rough, but, I've had experiences like this in yeah. the church and, and I've, I haven't felt listened to. Yeah. I haven't felt affirmed and you're actually doing it to me again because yeah. you don't like the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's been hard to see that. Yeah. We could really talk some more about this movie oh, and man. we're already getting a little long. So, um, I do want to talk about the last scene before, mm. before we go. And I guess it's the second to last scene is where, they're they're trying to ramp up to their their last their first Sunday mm-hmm. in the new building and Pastor Charles is like we need to do something just and he has his wife do a mime Ooh. on the side of the street as people are driving by in full face makeup in full face makeup and so you kind of have this so we we kind of alluded to this already but one of the victims comes up and they have this big explosive mm-hmm. reveal um, and. Uh, First Lady Childs runs off to the church and Mm -hmm. finally we have this big moment, this big moment where she finally kind of lets loose all of the things that she's been holding in. And I think to me, what's super interesting about this scene is that in the whole movie, Lee Curtis is deflecting, deflecting, deflecting. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, this is the first real taking ownership of this. Mm. She, she, she literally looks to the camera and says, I know this is messed up. I know what my husband did was wrong. I know that that this is just a completely messed up situation, but it's my situation. It's mine. This is my church. This is my church. This is my husband, and I will kill him before I leave him. <laughs> she felt that too. Oh man the the the. I mean, you and I love talking about the ways that the the, the directors use the cameras mm-hmm. and. What was what was amazing about this moment is it begins with I'll say okay so everyone chases First Lady 
Trinity back to the church. And from the beginning of the scene, Reverend Lee Curtis attempts to console her. Mm -hmm. And you see her, you know, don't touch me, don't touch me, and pushes him out of the frame. Mm -hmm. And so for a solid, what, maybe like five, five, six minutes, it's just Trinity in the frame. Uh And I... if I'm not mistaken, there's only a couple of other times in the movie when it, she's in the frame alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been intentional yeah. to really drive home this point that Revan Lee Curtis doesn't really make a whole lot of emotional space for her. Yeah. And so now she's got center stage, but she's in full face makeup. And so the symbolism of her unfortunately being positioned constantly as this martyr mm-hmm. for Reverend Lee Curtis's ego is showing up in clown makeup. Yeah. Like that's the symbolism of that. And for me, I'm just like, bro, like I, <laughs> I wish everyone could like peel the curtain back yeah. and just see how between the director choosing to push Lee Curtis and everyone else out of the camera frame and, you know, costuming, mm-hmm. choosing to keep her in the face makeup and like those two elements really working together to show that first lady Trinity has not had emotional Absolutely. Control not. until this very moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, there's, there's so much more I wish we could talk about. We could do, <laughs> we got to do a do, second episode. We, gotta, uh, we might have to do some like bonus content on this. Yeah. Um, cause there's a scene with her mom that I think leads into this extremely well. And then there's another moment in that conversation where the director of the documentary says, well, why mm-hmm. don't you just leave him? And then they immediately go to Lee Curtis. He's like, why would why you would say, you say that? Bruh. <laughs> Why wouldn't she say that? Have you been around for the last like, year? Like, really? <laughs> it's a whole... So so good. Here's what we'll say about the movie, guys. I think it would be it would be disingenuous and not... Just not right for us to say this movie could be triggering and probably is yeah. triggering to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so maybe this movie is... I think this is my, maybe the first... Not, maybe not the first movie, but I think we explicitly want to say this might not be the, the movie for you. We do believe that there's some great conversation and and introspection that can come from this movie. Mm-hmm. But we also recognize that this can be really triggering for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And 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 for and for a few reasons. So, you know, if you haven't seen the movie yet and and you're someone who has survived, you know, a, a sexual abuse history mm-hmm. or you're someone who survived spiritual abuse, you know, I I really encourage you to to just take some discretion in terms of, okay, do I need to watch this with somebody I trust or do I just need to not watch this at all? Mm-hmm. Cause I think it could be triggering for those two reasons in particular. Absolutely. So take some time. Don't feel like you need to see it right away. Yeah. If you feel comfortable seeing it. If you feel like you could be triggered by this. I would probably say stay away from it for yeah. a little while or at all. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, this could be, it could be a, a restorative thing for a lot of people allow you to kind of feel seen and heard in a moment and mm-hmm. give some language to some of the things that you may have experienced or noticed in the church. There's there's just so many layers to this film. I think for most people it's worth a watch, but maybe it's not for everybody. Yeah, that's legit. So one of the significant things we talked about this movie was the not-so-subtle rivalry <laughs> between the Sumpters and the Childs, these two different generations of, of preachers. I believe this is set in Atlanta. They don't super... Make it clear, but it seems like it's Atlanta. It feels like it, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so this kind of sparked a conversation for us talking about cross-generational relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, 
there's a few there's one scene where you kind of see the sumters and the childs together and you can kind of feel the strain of <laughs> of the sumters trying to be like oh well we can we could definitely help y'all and they're like oh we don't need no help we're no, good thank you we're good over here meanwhile back at the ranch right. yes you do they're not good your life's in shambles but that's fine <laughs> um so we we wanted to talk a little bit about cross-generational relationships mm-hmm. so let's start off with a big question yikes why can these be so hard well, uh, very easy question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, look, we, I, 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 I will just speak for my own generation. I'm a millennial born in 1990 and I've had a very different experience than Gen X and boomers, right? Like I've had a different, a completely different relationship with technology. Um, I've also, you know, in terms of the relationship that I had with my mom, my mom was a single mom, superhero, raising two kids by herself with the help of my grandma. Um, but she was, you know, emotionally present and like involved in my schooling. And so I think there's just some elements of my experience as a millennial and, and for a lot of us as millennials that are just very different from Gen Xers and mm-hmm. boomers um, in particular. And so right off the bat, the answer to the question, one answer to the question is just that our perspectives have therefore been shaped very differently mm-hmm. in terms of what's important, what's valuable. Um, I know one thing that comes to mind in terms of differing values is that a lot of us millennials are kind of like, look, we are beginning to notice how important our mental health is. And mm. we just do not want to just grit our teeth and like run ourselves ragged into the ground Mm. just because we can. Mm -hmm. But what I have heard from a lot of, you know, older, older folks is just that, look, you got to do what you got to do. Like you got to pay your bills. Everything is not just going to be handed to you. Mm -hmm. And so again, like it's a differing value kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But the other thing too, that I think can make these relationships hard is that there is, a different set of fears. Mm. Um, so when I say that, what I mean is that, so from, for my generation, I think we're used to having to submit to authority in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm having trouble like, like putting that to words, but what I notice about the older generations is that, I think what I've experienced of them is that they've worked so hard to get into a position of authority. Mm -hmm. And so one fear that I think they legitimately feel is that they will be pushed out altogether Mm. by younger generations and that they won't have any influence over the spaces that they're in. Um, And so for me, I, I, I try to really sit with that differing kind of fears, um, and remember them because I think that's a legitimate fear. Mm-hmm. Like if you've, if you've worked so hard to, to have a space in the workforce where you have authority, if you've worked hard to have influence in the educational field, mm-hmm. and then you start seeing millennials come through and they're just kind of like getting leadership positions and like, mm-hmm. you know, starting businesses of their own. It makes sense that that fear can kind of well up for yeah. some older, older folks. Yeah. I, I really identify with with what you just said. I, I'm specifically reminded of um, a meeting I was in one time with um, some elder 
elders at a church that were basically wanted to have like a round table with youth and younger people and try to figure out better ways to communicate. And I am using veiled language because that's not exactly what they said, mm-hmm. but it's what, how they, it wasn't, that's not exactly the intent that they have, but that's what they said. Uh, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that what they really wanted to do was find a way to control the youth to do what they wanted them to do, oh my. but they veiled it as, how do we reach them? And so I remember sitting in this meeting and kind of giving, giving, trying to give some real insight and, and somebody just at one point getting up and saying, I just want to, I just want to know how, how to get y'all to, to listen to me when I tell y'all to do something. Oh my. And I'm like, okay, so this is kind of what we're doing here. And I, yeah. and I, and one thing that really stuck with me is I remember older gentlemen kind of got up and said, in my day, you waited your turn. And so mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, you guys could be involved, but y'all need to wait your turn. Oh boy! And I think that's a real thing when we talk about generational relationships, and we saw it in in the movie that we just talked about. They feel as if they've waited their turn, and it's their moment, and their moment is not over yet. Yeah. And until they are ready to hand the baton over, you just wait until I hand it to you. Mm-hmm. If I hand it to you, mm-hmm. or you pick it up when I drop it, whatever. And I think that's a real that's a real fear. They don't want to be pushed out. They don't want to be told that their moment is over, that their moment in leadership, their moment of influence is over. Mm. They want to run the race as long as they can for as far far as they can. I mean, I, the one the example I think of is like athletes. Athletes, it's hard for athletes to come to terms with that they're not the best anymore. Mm. I don't want to get too deep into it because I know Micah doesn't you know super follow sports, but for <laughs> elite can't. for elite athletes especially. You get to a certain point in your career where you're you're really living off the respect of your past abilities, mm-hmm. but physically you're not the same player. You can't do the same things. You can't impact the game the same way. Um, and sometimes it's way after you're past, past your prime that you realize, oh, I needed to make some adjustments, and it's too late now. Mm-hmm. But I still want to. I still want to be the guy that they go to at the end of the game. I still want to play the most minutes. Yeah. I still want to take the big shots. Um, where there's other people on your team that could probably help take some of that load off your shoulders mm-hmm. and really it, it would be better for the team. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of the example I think of when I think of why why these fears become so real for people because you don't want to believe that your moment is over. No. You want to think that it's going to go on and you're going to be able to walk off into the sunset at your peak, but that's just not the realistic, mm. the real thing that happens. No, that that makes a lot of sense to me, even, you know, even with me not following sports very closely. I there's another element I want to pull out, but I just I want to find a a nuanced way to say it. So where I'll begin is one of the things for our generation that I think we, we can't we can't overlook is that. Gen X and boomers really did a lot to make sure Absolutely. that we have comforts that they just simply did not have. Absolutely. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, luxuries of time, mm-hmm. luxuries of resources, plainly speaking, without them, we wouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Right. But one of the things that we also like a byproduct of that, that we got as millennials is extra time to really become more in tune with our emotional life mm-hmm. and to really develop a skill set that I think, I mean, maybe for younger Gen Xers it has become typical, but a skill set of self-awareness mm-hmm. that I think is, is it's 
pretty new, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting with younger Gen Xers and, and millennials. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to pivot here and just say, I'm not saying that, you know, all Gen Xers are not self-aware. All boomers are not self-aware. Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is that there there has been a, a very distinct shift Mm -hmm. in the luxury that millennials have had to invest in being in tune with their internal world. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I think there's just an interesting cross-generational conversation I see a lot where millennials will try to point out maybe an element of emotional health or unhealth Mm -hmm. in older folks and to just kind of say, like, look, I've spent a lot of time on this myself. Yeah. And I've seen the ways that this kind of unhealth has shown up in me. Yeah. And I just want to, like, gently point this out to you because I can kind of see that you're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And because Gen Xers, you know, older Gen Xers and, and boomers have had to, like, grit their teeth and, like, yeah. hunker down and, like, they didn't have that same luxury the millennials have to, like, do navel gazing and, like, figure out stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so what you see a lot of times is them being like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just fine. Yeah. And so millennials, we throw up our hands like, okay, well, I tried to tell you that, yeah. you know, this is one of the reasons why we can't have this conversation. So it's just, it's very interesting seeing how something that us millennials have been given, right, this luxury of time and self-awareness there's some ways that we're trying to give it back to Gen Xers and boomers, but yeah. I, I don't, I see it in a lot of situations. They're maybe not able to receive it yeah. fully. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, oh man, which direction I want to go? <laughs> so I, this made me think of this video I saw on social media, mm-hmm. uh, this week. And it's a video of Felicia Rashad. And I have, I've only seen clips of the video. I haven't watched the whole thing, but it's her talking about how, she wouldn't change how she was raised, how how her mother raised her, mm. made her who she is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you know, even the even the things that are negative or that were hard for her, she wouldn't change because that's what made her yeah. who she was. Essentially, I hear that. And so, part of me was like, yeah, you know, that's that's admirable, mm-hmm. right? And I thought about it some more. Mm. <laughs> And it just made me think of kind of this dynamic within, especially cross-generational relationships, where it's like, well, I turned out fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we look at the debate about whether or not you should use corporal punishment, punishment mm-hmm. on your children. Well, I turned out fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Define fine. Define fine, first of all. <laughs> let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit more. Indeed. Um, but I think we should always be looking for ways to grow and tweak in and how can we do better not just repeat the patterns of the past yeah and i think that's one of the things i think that our generation has very much been unwilling to repeat the patterns of the past just because yeah yeah we want to understand why we will understand i think especially during the pandemic it forced us to do a lot of internal work that we would not have had time to do true otherwise Mm -hmm. we were not as busy as we were we were stuck at our houses literally looking at our navels and, and being like, oh, that's, a, <laughs> that's new. That's new. Um, so I think that's that's part of that is that mm. we're not really just going to keep doing these cycles of things because that's what is expected of us. We want to understand the why of it and we want to improve it and do better. Yeah, I think a conversation that we hear a lot within our generation is, well, I want to improve upon what my parents did. I want to take mm-hmm. what they did and 
take it to another level, whatever, whatever language we want to use. Right, right. Um, and I think for us, that means a little bit more, for lack of a better word, decon- we're doing a lot of deconstructing mm-hmm. of of our pasts and how we can be better and come come out on the other end of it better. Yeah, yeah. And I think for, for older generations, I think what I sense is that maybe that's being received as an insult. Yes. That like, yes. oh, there was something wrong with the way that we were yes. raised and the, re- and the way we did things. And, and I, you know, I, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I, that's not how I'm experiencing my own commitment to growth. I think what I'm experiencing is that for each generation, you, you had what you had, like you just did the best with what you had. And, and I honor that. And I also want to take that and create the best version of myself out of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and hopefully be able to give that to, you know, Gen Z and younger. Right. Um, but I think it's been helpful for me to remember that when older generations do see us talk about as millennials wanting to do things better, that maybe it would be helpful for us to to say on the front end of those kinds of declarations that, hey, we honor what you gave us and yes. what you went through. And yeah. we honor that you did the best that you could. Um, and to say that first, just so that there could be a little bit of softening for that kind of emotional reaction for older generations. That's that's a really good point. That's a really good point. As we're having these conversations, I think we have to be willing to extend grace for that i I think the thing that came to my mind while you were talking were as you as you learn better you do better yeah yeah you know that's the goal i mean we didn't we didn't have nearly the understanding of mental health um you know (laughs) adhd add all of these depression anxiety none of these were common language so i mean you know I hate to go, jump all the way to the extreme, but people were just crazy. Like, oh, that, that, right. That's how they understood that's, it. That's then. your crazy uncle. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of shrugged off and you just got to deal with it. Yeah. And so now we have so much more language and that is not the fault of the previous generation. No. It's not the, it's not the fault of our parents and our grandparents. They had what they had mm-hmm. and they worked with what they worked with. And I think we do have to extend that grace to say, to say that they were doing the best with what they had. Yeah. And I think that's a good pivot point to how do we have healthy cross-generational relationships. And I think that's you bringing that up was was right on point. Mm. I think the other thing that we have to look at is resisting the desire to hoard power in either generation. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, there's so much. I mean, I think one of the things I'm thankful for the church that we go to and the staff that we have is that we have a pretty good cross-section of Mm -hmm. age ranges and backgrounds and so there's so much that we can learn from each other. There's things that people say, things that people consider that help me to see the world differently and understand people yeah. differently because we can get micro-focused on our own issues or the, mm-hmm. our own things that are important to us. But when we have that wealth of of knowledge and wisdom from a cross-section of generations, that really helps us be a better community for people. Yeah, very much. Which I think to add a second element to that, you know, what could be helpful to have these cross-generational interactions is just humility on both sides, mm-hmm. right? Like, which I think is is a, a tangent to not hoarding power. But I think really what, what it has to do with is this acknowledgement that there's very little that we can do in our own power. Yeah. And it comes also with a curiosity about, okay, what am I missing? What is it that I don't know? What is it that 
that I haven't experienced before on both sides. Yeah. Right. And so that curiosity and that and that acknowledgement that there is a lot of that we can't do within our own power, I think, opens up the conversation rather than creates barriers between yeah. us. Absolutely. But I think, too, also what can help us have healthier cross-generational interactions is at least being curious about our emotional reactions to one another. Mm -hmm. And really what I'm talking about is not not the polished ones that you choose after you done process with a friend, Mm -hmm. but like those knee jerk reactions. Right. So for millennials, being honest about, you know, the frustrations that we feel being honest with ourselves, right? The frustrations that we feel, maybe even some feelings of of feeling dismissed yeah. by older generations. But then also on the flip side, my hope is that older generations will be honest with themselves about the fears that they feel, yeah. right? Fears of being pushed out, you know, pushed aside. Um, and then, of course, their frustrations, right? Not feeling listened to on their end. And wrestling with those emotional reactions as they are, rather than just kind of stuffing them and, and polishing over them to to put on a front that mm. this is not an emotional experience. Because yeah. it very much is when you, I mean, I see it in the workplace, I see it in the church. When you try to have these cross-generational interactions, there's going to be an emotional kind of space happening at the same time yeah. of whatever task that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for us to be in tune with our own emotional experience of that. Mm. I think that's a good way to wrap up. I think so too. This conversation. <laughs> so Michael, give us our review. What did we learn today? What did we learn today? Oh boy. Or what did we talk about? Today? <laughs> Sorry. I don't want to. <laughs> I was about to say, honk for Jesus, save your soul. Was it, what it, was it a learning experience? <laughs> um, so what we talked about today was honk for Jesus, save your soul, mm-hmm. really exploring the things that it encouraged us to think about and be thoughtful about. And the really cool ways that the screenwriters and the directors used um, their tools to create this cinematic experience to do that. And then we, of course, continued in our relationship segment by exploring cross-generational relationships, what makes them difficult and what could perhaps make them a bit healthier. Mm -hmm. So, of course, this is always a beginning of the conversation. We don't ever want to. This is a foundation. It's the roots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we don't ever want to stop it here. So we encourage you, dear listener, to continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can do that with us on Twitter by using the hashtag hashtag talk about it pod. Or you could at us directly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can follow me um, or mention me at J Marie Morgan. And where can they find you, Malcolm? I am on Twitter and Instagram as at as at Malcolm D.O.T. Media. M.A.L.C.O.L.M.D.O.T. Media. And that's on Instagram and Twitter. Indeed. Is that it? I think we did it. You guys, you know, this is a long episode. But we appreciate you guys for listening, yeah. sitting with us. We do this for you. We really do. <laughs> we do. We enjoy talking to each other. I mean, we do this. We have these conversations anyway. It's true. So it just makes sense to record it. To record, but <laughs> but I'm Malcolm Morgan, and I'm Micah Morgan, and we'll see you all next time.